There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some point, you got to decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. I'm joined again by a regular co-presenter, nearly, uh, Jack Howard. Um, oh, wow. What an honor. Well, Jack, it's getting to be... Almost co. It's get, Yeah, almost co. It's it's like... Not enough to be in the, the title of the podcast. I'm, I'm still just... I, I'm, I'm, you know, not that I'm pitching that. Hey, I don't want to pitch a big change. Listen, when I do the, the radio show with, uh, you know, Simon Mayer, which is called Kermode and Mayo's Film Review, you have to email mayo at bbc.co.uk so i'm just used to this okay just like years years of this sort of thing anyway anyway um hello jack in hello, in, in whichever capacity uh now we're going to do something a bit a bit different this week we having done all of christopher nolan's movies and all of tenet incidentally we should just start by saying since we did the tenet podcast I'd seen mm-hmm. it once, you'd seen it twice. You've now seen it th- three times and you've now completely revised your view from, 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 the, Mark, from the podcast. I've seen it four times. <laughs> Have you revised back again? Where are you no. now? Timey wimey. <laughs> My opinion is as complicated as the film. Um, no, I, I still think that all my opinions that I voiced on the podcast completely stand. Okay. I think that the, the criticisms absolutely are valid, but I just think you know in the way that i'm frustrated with interstellar because of all the potential i think it has but it doesn't yeah, yeah. land for me yeah i think that what i actually wanted to happen which is what i said at the end of the podcast which was i hope that i don't care as much the more i watch it yeah. i hope they don't stand out more and that is exactly what's happened i watched it again and all of my like, problems with the fact that like oh there's imagery of him fighting himself why is there not a theme of himself being his own worst enemy and all this stuff about character that was in my head about what I thought it could be just sort of drained and I didn't care anymore and I just started appreciating it for the big delicious puzzle that it is. So I think I read... I, I just really like it now. I read somewhere that you said something on the lines of I stopped wanting it to be a different film and start liking yes. it for the film that it was, which I think is... Yes. It, I think that's, that's... I had my own expectations to blame for a lot of it. I, I have to admit that and I have to hold my hands up and say... You know, although marketing is to blame as well, I did watch these trailers for the better part of a year and did I was able to work out what was going on. Yeah, yeah. And I did see these breathtaking images for a long time. So the, when I saw them in the film, they didn't hit me the same way they would have done if yeah. I hadn't done that. So there's all that to take into account as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, just to to you know to reassure everybody we're not doing a whole other podcast about <laughs> about um although obviously we could yeah we could but we're not going to what we're going to do is something that we actually promised to do a while ago what happened was we were talking about uh the coens for some reason i can't even remember why and you said um 
have you seen burn after reading? And I said, yeah, and I really don't like it. And you said, I really do. And we should do a podcast in which you go back and see burn after reading again. And we discuss it. And then just recently, just in the last week or so, the vinyl soundtrack to hackers has come out and hackers is a film, which I've loved ever since it came out, although it's very divisive. I mean, the people that love it really love it. And a lot of people don't. And I said, okay, I'll tell you what, we'll do a trade-off. I will go back and watch Burn After Reading, which I've just finished watching now. And you will uh, go watch Hackers, which you hadn't seen before. And then we do a kind of- I've never even heard of it. Oh, okay. Well, all all the better. So which way do you want to go first? Do you want to do Hackers first or do you want to do Burn After Reading? I think what we'll do is 15 minutes on each one and then just see whether we end up anywhere near each other. So which way do you want to go first? Well, I went first for Tenet, so I'll let you go first this time. Okay. So- Shall we do hackers first in that case? Go for it. Okay, so so let me start by by doing you know the, the kind of the setup for why I like hackers. So hackers is a film by Ian Softley who made um, Backbeat and later on Wings of the Dove, and uh, he's a re- he's a great filmmaker. Uh, he's made several movies, you know, some of which have been fully appreciated, others of which uh, I think deserve more attention. But Ian Softley made this movie Hackers. Um, uh, which is basically a very early kind of uh, cyber hacker, uh, cyberpunk adventure. Um, Before aimed, there was the Matrix, yeah, there was hackers. It, it, exactly. And it's aimed at a, at a young audience, and it's a really sort of good, fun film with a fantastic soundtrack, which I just did the sleeve notes for. And uh, it came out when I was working at Radio 1, because I, I wasn't always this old. I was at one point, uh, the, you know, the film critic for the nation's top pop station back, back then when that actually, you know, was, was a big thing. And, and a uh, sentence that people said. Yeah, you know, but I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm, listen, I'm really grateful for it because it was, you know, it's a great station to work for. And Hackers was our movie of the month. That meant that we did screenings of it, of it and people could go and see it. And I saw it and I, I loved it. I thought it was exciting and thrilling and fun. And, you know, and I loved the look of it. And I, I loved the way it's, I loved the soundtrack. And I, I'm a huge fan of Ian Softly. And I thought it was a film that did a brilliant job of negotiating this difficult thing between, on the one hand, the real world of these teenagers, you know, on laptops, which is kind of fairly boring. And on the other hand, the, you know, the world inside the computer, which is kind of, you know, on the one hand, fairly boring. And what it managed to do was to make both of those worlds seem really exciting. So in the teenage world, they're like out and about in the streets and these uh, clubs and the whole thing is kind of, you know, really... Lots sort of, and lots of roller skating. Lots and lots of roller skating and uh, lots and lots of kind of, you know, outlandish clothes and, uh, and, and haircuts and stuff going on. And then when we go into the, the cyber part of it, the camera goes basically into the computer, into the laptops. And then we see this physical landscape, which is the landscape of the digital world. And of course, one of the things I loved most about it was that that digital world is created physically. It's not a CG thing. It's a physical thing. It has CG added to it. But they built this, basically this landscape. So the film goes between the landscape, the kind of tower block landscape of the real world, and then the tower block landscape of inside the computer, all these things built with, I think it was Perspex, huge, huge, great big um, set that they built. The camera moves around as it tells the story as the, you know, as digital information is passed from, you know, one area to another. And I, I just loved it. I thought it was such a, terrifically fun uh cinematic experience i mean it's got a you know really great cast you know angelina jolie and johnny lee miller miller and uh matthew Lillard and, and you know people it was, is, is, who is it that plays 
who goes on to play Shaggy, who's also in Scream. Yeah, Matthew Lillard, yeah. I love him. Yeah. I think he I know he plays very similar types and everything, but I just think he's endlessly watchable. Yeah, and he's and he's he's absolutely at the max in he really in, is. in hackers. And so I just thought it was I, it was great. And of course it came out and it got a really <laughs> response from the uh, from critics. I have to say generally from uh you know older critics of which I am now one obviously. And it always seemed to me to be one of those films that, that it would just take people to discover it. And that's all it would take. Well, over the years, um, uh, it has indeed found its audience. It came out on, I think it was on Laserdisc. People started saying, you know, look, I love Hackers. Hackers is great. Hackers looks so brilliant. Loads of people who worked in the special effects on Hackers went on to work for Christopher Nolan. There's a, this whole joke about when they were making Interstellar. It was like, you on Hackers? Yeah, I'm, you're on Hackers. And everyone else was on Hackers. And... Um, I've done screenings of it at festivals um, like the the Llama Tree Festival, and uh, I've I've I did a thirty five mil screening of it uh, here in Southampton and down at the Plaza in Truro, and I've remained it's you know one of its kind of great flag waves. And there was a point when when that sort of seemed to be a bit like oh what you know what is it why why does Mark love that film so much? But now actually it's become quite a thing like oh yeah everyone loves Hackers. And when this came out, this is the I'll just I'll wave this at you. This is for, for Patreon. This, this this is the double CD, the double uh, uh, vinyl LP, and it also kind of comes with the CD as well. And when this came out, I said they, they asked me to write some um, some sleeve notes for it, and I just basically went, "I love hackers. I've always loved hackers. First generation <laughs> hackers fan." And it's one of those films I can go back to at any time. I can put it on. I can just I can just get lost in it because I think it's it's just such a an excitingly it's a film that's excited about cinema and although the technology you know now seems terribly dated and cronky and all you know all the rest of it i don't care it's just i think it's a really great teen adventure and it's a story told by somebody who likes the protagonists and likes the idea and is interested in technology and music and and uh, and it never got the you know the accolades that it deserved and i just love it now I'm kind of worried about what you're going to think about it because, you know, you come from a whole different generation in which, you know, you've grown up on, I mean, one of the things that happens in this film is, and it is, it's, it's pay phones. I mean, it's pay phones and, <laughs> and dial up. I mean, that's, that's where we are, you know, there's a whole bit. Well, I, that doesn't bother me. I mean, I, I've got a question at first yeah. actually is in 1995, when this came out, was there anything else that had ever been like it? Cause I'm watching it obviously with 2020 eyes and I'm going, Oh, so this is like, even some parts of it. I'm like, so the matrix, obviously, took some inspiration from this in you know whether or not it did it directly or not but also the social network absolutely feels like it's like a serious version yeah. of of some of the scenes in this like so I, I can see that there's some influence on it but i also don't know whether or not i'm looking at that just in terms of the fact that it came way before that stuff i think or was there anything else that came out like this around that time no i mean hackers was very much on its on its own thing i mean there was a bit of a news story at the time about oh this is disgraceful this is a film that says that hackers are a good thing and teenagers will just be encouraged to become hackers and that's i mean it's all, all of which seems so, so, funny. so quaint nowadays you know next thing you know they'll be pirating movies and you know it's, <laughs> it is that sort of level but no it was unprecedented how much direct influence it had on other films is hard to say because not that many people saw it but i tell you what people who knew what they were doing saw it and i know that within the industry it was a film that was spoken of in circles amongst people who knew and as i said this whole sort of really funny thing that later on a huge amount of christopher nolan's vfx uh, um artists 
were saying, yeah, yeah, well, you know, we, we all worked on Hackers together. We, so it's a, it's a, it's a film on people, and this sounds really snobby, people who know something, know some, you know, knew about it. And if, I suppose the, the obvious precursor, but it's quite a long way before, is Tron. But Tron is a yeah. totally different, kind of beast it's going into the computer yeah, type but thing. tron takes place within but in terms of its visuals yeah. it's not no and the physical mm. and the physicality of that world i think was 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 very very different so i mean you know there are there, there have been movies before in which people go into and it's you know there's a famous video nasty about somebody getting you know sucked into their computer people have done that before but they'd never done it in a way that looked like hackers i mean it, 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 it the future had never looked that you know that Cool, despite the fact that they're on dial up. <laughs> Kill the Gibson. Roger that. Come on, you son of a bitch. Is that all you got, huh? Come on, let's see what else you can do. You talking to me? <laughs> Are you nuts? Come at me. They're in the colonel. Tankers are stop capsizing. The ballast tanks are empty. Should be okay. I think the the thing about it is it's so funny to watch it now because it's so incredibly 90s it's yeah, it's yeah. so wrapped up in 90s culture i can see as well like my child brain just sees some of it and goes oh i remember seeing stuff like this in batman and robin when i was a kid <laughs> and i and obviously i know now that back then when they were making Batman and Robin, they were like, how do we make Batman relevant in the nineties? And so they started like casting, um, what's her name from clueless, uh, as Batman. Alicia Silverstone, Alicia Silverstone. Yeah. Like they cast her and they've got all like Robin is like a cool skater kid. And he does all this sort of like, uh, back, uh, sort of underground racing that he does. Um, so I can see all of that influence coming from this. And I I can imagine what you just said, like in, within the industry, people were probably like, we want it to be as cool as hackers is. (laughs) And I watch it now and I go, Oh, I kind of feel sorry for anybody who thought this was cool. Cause (laughs) it comes across now with my 2020 eyes as so lame. (laughs) I'm so, so lame. And like, I don't, I don't hate it. I didn't hate it. I had a decent time watching it. I just think it's like aged quite badly in terms of not only the look of it and the feel of it and the tone of it and all the rest of it, but I I can't, and I don't want this to just become a big discussion about this stuff, but it's just something I can't help but see is that the treatment of women in it is bizarre. Like Angelina Jolie is completely objectified and sexualized. There's a scene where she is uh with a f- her partner at the time who just disappears part way through the film like the guy the boy that she's dating they're like making out in a room and she's getting undressed and all the boys are there in the dark just watching and being like don't make any noise let let it happen and it's like i can't help but feel weird about this now i just don't think that scene would happen the way that it happens in that film there's bits where he tells her to smile there's bits where he tells her to wear a dress and there's bits when they make jokes about trans people. There's bits when they make jokes about race. And it's just all this stuff is just in there. And I'm like, I know it was a different time. I know it was the 90s. I know it's silly teen stuff, but I can't help it now. I but see I think, it all. Okay, 
Okay, but I think it's more aware that, for example, you say that thing about he tells her to wear a dress. Actually, what happens is he says they have a bet. Um, yes, which is kind of complicated to explain, but they have a bet, and uh, and she and she's you know she's smart and you know and cleverer than he is, and she's actually the kind of you know the kind of the great computer geek that he's. And the 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 the, the bet is okay. Well, what happens if you win? He says, well, if I win. You wear a dress when we go on when we go on a date, and she says, "Yeah." And if I win, you wear a dress. So the joke isn't just as you know as as simple as you're sort of you know representing it to be. Incidentally, I I just watched recently the Blu-ray of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure because the new Bill and Ted movie is coming out, and there's a disclaimer at the beginning of that which says this film contain this is you know it contains stuff that may now be considered historically inappropriate or you know because times because obviously times have changed but i actually think that the film is i think it's i think its heart is in the right place i don't think it's i mean i don't i don't think that um that the 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 primary thing about angelina jolie's character is that she's objectified i think she's you know i think she's the kind of you know tough ballsy woman out there you know holding her own and and that I think that that whole thing of that exchange about no, and if I and if I win, you wear the dress is is actually the the tone of the film. I know what you mean, and I think there is also like there was quite a nice moment when she has the same sort of sexual dream that he has, and he is wearing like sort of leather and 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 sort of more feminine stuff, and she wakes up enjoying that. I think my problem with that as well is still like, oh, I get I get the joke, but it's still kind of like you wear a dress like that's emasculating and all the rest. It's like, it's like not a joke that I think would be made now in terms of like wearing a dress shouldn't be, if somebody wants to wear a dress, they want to wear a dress. Like it's, it's fine. And that's kind of how I feel about some of that stuff is like, it just feels a little bit out of, it's out of touch because it's not from 2020. It's from 1995. Okay, but I can't help but receive it and go, all right, I don't, I okay, don't so what, so, feel so, the way that they, they, they feel at that, at so, when okay. they were making it. So what about the way that you, um, what do you feel about the way in which it does the the cyber world? Bear in mind, this was, you know, kids with laptops going inside <laughs> yeah. computers in a way that I, that I hadn't seen before. Yeah, I, I think that some of it is is fun to watch. And again, clearly inspired things like The Matrix and all the rest of it, I think. I can only guess. Uh, but I think after like the fifth montage of them going into these sort of like glowing like hacky computer worlds i was like all right i'm, I'm i've got it i, I i've i've seen this now it, feel, it just feels like i was seeing a, the similar s- stuff over and over again okay. um yeah <laughs> i don't know like i thought it was i thought it was fine like i, I didn't i didn't find it a, a massively offensive but i also was watching it being like oh another one of these another <laughs> but also like, like i say the matrix stuff is you know because in the same vein like the payphone thing and the sort of the rotating camera they do that in hackers and i was just watching it and and obviously the sort of drum and bass-esque soundtrack or the almost um the contrasting with the uh, almost rage against the machine heavy metal rap type stuff that is all the same as the matrix as well so there's some of that stuff where i just can't help but be charmed by it because it just reminds me of the matrix even though the matrix came after it do you know what I mean? It's well, just yeah, my perception what, of things. One of the weird things about Hackers is, despite the fact that it has got an absolutely rocking soundtrack, that the soundtrack didn't come out in time for the film because the film company didn't really understand that, you know, all the stuff that was on the soundtrack was going to have traction. So it was it was kind of years later that that got picked up. 
And it was, you know, it was, it was a real shame because actually it would have been the easiest. I mean, I, you know, I was at Radio One and I was going, you know, I just had the original CD release, which didn't have, you know, an awful lot of the stuff on it. But I was just going, look, you know, look at all these tracks that you can play. This is, this is absolutely designed for a Radio One audience. The other thing that I, that I never understood, I mean, I appreciate that, that it, it's, you know, it, it's not working for you in the way that it works for me. But the thing I never understood was people, people just didn't, didn't get the, the, the excitement of it, the fact that it's a film that's clearly made by an enthusiast and made by people who are, I mean, it is really interesting if you now look at the stuff with the, you know, with the hackers cast, the way people talk about that film now, everyone who was involved in it talks about it affectionately. I did an interview with Angelina Jolie in which for complicated reasons, um, uh, I was, it was kind of suggested that, uh, you know, I, I, cause I, you know, I loved, I love hackers. It was kind of known that I loved hackers. They said, well, just don't, don't be talking about you. We want to talk about the other stuff. And I, and then and I didn't even bring it up. Angelina Jolie mentioned hackers and, uh, and I said, Oh, I love hackers. She said, Oh yeah, I love hackers too. And then we just did, we took five minutes about why we, you know, why we love hackers. And, um, you know, it's interesting seeing the cast now because the, you know, anniversary is going by and, uh, and, you know, how much they still have great and fond recollections of it and how much the thing they all talk about is the excitement of, of making it, how much enthusiasm there was. I think you do get that from the film. I think it, it just looks like an anti-corporate film. It doesn't look like a film that's made by people with Venn diagrams and audience graphs. It looks like a film made by people who are actually excited by the subject matter. The defendant, Dave Murphy, who calls himself Zero Cool, has repeatedly committed criminal acts of a malicious nature. This defendant possesses a superior intelligence, which he uses to a destructive and antisocial end. His computer virus crashed 1,507 systems, including Wall Street trading systems, single-handedly causing a seven-point drop in the New York stock market. Dade Murphy, I hereby fine your family $45,000 and sentence you to probation under which you are forbidden to own or operate a computer or touchtone telephone until the day of your 18th birthday. I'll tell you what my favourite thing in the whole film was, yeah. was the setup. I think <laughs> that they reveal at the beginning that it's this 11-year-old boy yeah. who's hacked, like the, 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 the sort of panning shot across the court and then the tilt down to reveal the little kid. Yeah. And then the, the very traditional press photos as he's coming out of the, the courthouse. I thought that was a brilliant way to set up the type of tone they were going for. Like, this is cheesy. This is silly. We know what we're doing. Have fun. Yeah. yeah and yeah. from that point, I was like, okay, I'm into this. I think this is going to be really fun. And I think it just sort of lost steam for me. I was just watching it being like, Okay, this was, I, I don't really, I'm, I saw in a weird way, like I'm not kind of following all of these threads that are going on. Characters, some of them are appearing and disappearing. There's this weird villain who, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe the villain. Like this odd, <laughs> dorky, creepy, uh, almost basement dwelling. <laughs> like, he's just gross. And, 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 <laughs> <laughs> weirdly kind of compelling to watch sometimes in like his in how earnest he's performing things and that he thinks he's a super villain when he isn't like it's, i don't know but um, lorraine bracco i mean i think lorraine bracco is terrific 
I think she, I think that's a re- I think it's a really good role that she's clearly relishing because actually you know when it comes to you know the forces of evil I think what she's doing is in, embodying all that stuff and I think that the film absolutely sides with its with its young heroes I think the film is completely on their side I think hackers a, of the world unite unite <laughs> exactly hack the planet you know I mean it's I don't know. I remember another favorite moment is um, I think there's a moment where somebody says something about how his hard drive hasn't corrupted, which in 2020 is a very easy thing to understand. Yeah. And he says like his hard drive hasn't corrupted. And then the the officer goes in English, please. And I was like, <laughs> that is maybe one of the first times that that cliche was used of like, I don't understand your technical jargon. Give it to me in English. Give it to me straight. Jack, like if that, I'd Jack, loved that. It was quarter of a century ago. I know. It's, that's why I think it's funny. It's, it's like, just funny to watch you know, that bit now. But I, th- I mean, I, you know, look, I, you know, I think the joy of it is that even after quarter of a century, that stuff, I just, I like, I, I just really... I really enjoy it. I've seen it loads of times. I just really enjoy it every time I really, I remember me and Nigel Floyd were the two people who said, this is a great film. This is a really good piece of cinema. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and as I said, I think actually weirdly enough, and, you know, interested to know if people listening to this podcast, if they've seen it, you know, what they thought, maybe if they've even gone out and bought the, uh, the double final album, which is great. I'd like to know what they think because you know, I remember at the time it just it flew under the radar, and it was a real shame. Um, I know that you know. Has it become the sort of film now that I know it's obviously a um, a cult classic now? Has it become the sort of film where people, if you if you go to a screening, everyone knows the lines and the in jokes, and are there are there things that people sort of come away with? I've where been, you you know the specific quotes or something. Okay, so I've been to screenings of it because I've done screenings of it, and what generally happens is this: half the audience haven't seen it. And the other half, of ah. it, and, and the other half of them treat it like the Rocky Horror Picture Show that they Got know it. and they love everything about it. So the thing about it is, it's one of those films that the people who love hackers love hackers, and they just really enjoy hackers. And then you know, other people are kind of interested because you know it's an interesting cast. You know, we've gone on to, to great things, and because Ian Softy's reputation is great, and because as I said, it has developed. This kind of, uh, I mean, I was, I, uh, Ian and I were doing um, uh, a, a recording uh, for it, and um, and I was, you know, I, I was being interviewed for part of the, you know, the special features when it was all happening, and and everyone who was involved in doing that stuff, you just you just start talking about it, and everyone just, you know, it's it's like, what's your favorite when that bit, when that and that thing, and I love that bit, and I love the thing when that happens, and that, and you know, and as I said, that thing about everyone who worked on Interstellar worked on Hackers first was was always a kind of great thing. All right, so look, I think that it would seem to me that in this, you know, you're not sold, which is perfectly fair. Uh, I love it. I'd be interested to know what other people think. Um, it is, you know, I said it is out there. In the I'd be open to seeing it at one of those screenings where everyone treats it like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. That, to me, feels like the perfect environment yeah. to enjoy. Yeah, well, but, well, look, the next time I screen it, come along. I mean, I've done, you know, I've done several screenings of it and I'll, I'm sure I'll do them again because it's, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's just a personal favourite of mine. Why did he come to you? I got a record. I was zero cool. Zero cool? Crashed 1,507 systems in one day? Biggest crash in history. Front page New York Times, August 10th, 1988. I thought you was black, man. (laughs) 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So let's move on to uh, Burn After Reading, um, uh, which is, I just, I want to call Burn After Reading because I kept, I started calling it that when it came out, because if you go on the train line the way I do, it, it just looks like it's saying Burn After Reading. Um, Give me the pitch, give me the setup, sell me the film. Okay. Burn After Reading is kind of, I think I feel similarly about Burn After Reading the way that you feel about Hackers. It's a personal favorite. It's a film I saw, came out in 2008, so the same year as The Dark Knight, so it's one of those formative years for me. Um, It was the Coen Brothers follow-up to their Oscar-storming No Country for Old Men, and it feels like them taking a little bit of a break from seriousness and going back to their sort of silliness. And to be honest, I'm not a big fan of all the Coen Brothers' work. I think we might have mentioned this on the podcast before, and I know it's sacrilege, but I don't even really love The Big Lebowski that much. I think that there are bits in The Big Lebowski that I think are really funny and quotes that I love and will use just day to day and think that the performance is great. But there's something about like the absurdity sometimes of the Coen Brothers' that I just it just misses me somehow. And when I think they go too far and they lose track of the story and all the rest of it. But with Burn After Reading, all of it just lands for me. And it's one of those films that I love putting on in any mood. It always makes me laugh. I love that it's this espionage spy movie, but really that's just the, you know, the shell for this movie that's really about all these interconnected relationships. And I love that the whole thing is kind of rendered pointless, and it's just a film about nothing and all these assumptions that people make and the stupid things that people do and the uh, the acts that they commit. And yeah, I, I just think it's this silly film that knows exactly what it is. And having seen uh, Dr. Strangelove for the first time in the past week, which wow. is a film I'd never, which I, I loved it. There were moments in it when there were certain performances happening that I was like, oh, this is why I like Burn After Reading because there's some performances in it, like the way that certain people deliver lines. I've got to imagine that before making it, they told everybody to watch Dr. Strangelove and like try to shape it around certain, the same sort of tone and performance deliveries. I think that the way it's shot, it's shot by um, Emmanuel Lebeski, who is known as Chivo, I believe, Chivo, in the yeah. industry. He went on and won like three Oscars in a row for shooting Birdman, The Revenant and uh, Gravity. And his, he is the stand-in for Roger Deakins, who is usually uh, the 
the person who shoots the Coen Brothers movies, and I think he does a brilliant job. I love all the beautiful wide angle lenses that he uses. He shoots offices that are supposed to be like really dull and boring in this really like interesting way where you can see the ceilings and all the lights and the shapes of the room. I love all that. I think that um carter burwell's score is one of the because the coens very rarely use scores unless i'm just misremembering and it's only no country for old men where they don't use a score at all but carter burwell's score in this i think is fantastic it's got this weird mix of being this tension driven uh very almost earnest uh espionage score but also it's got like some really nice bits of comedy sort of woven into that music as well i think that george clooney brad pitt francis mcdormand and uh, john markovich are all giving tremendous performances as, actually also i should mention tilda swinton who makes me laugh every time with her undercutting of she does not have a problem with just playing a stone cold bitch and not being like not having a problem with the fact that like she is just a one-dimensional horrible bird-like a horrible little creature like the moment when she says the moment when john markovich like i'm thinking i'm thinking about writing a memoir and she just goes (laughs) she just barely gasps a a laugh out i think that it's uh so brilliant that it's uh got this amazing twist in it spoilers where um brad pitt dies halfway through and i think that brad pitt is giving one of his best comedy i don't know if he's done many other comedy comedy performances but i think that in this just watching him dance watching him sort of move down the hallways and him saying certain lines like i got his number i got his number i'm just i'm just charmed by all of it and their stupidity the superficiality of all of it the way that francis mcdormand is introduced with a shot of her ass is just like tells you exactly like how deep this character is and that she gets exactly what she wants by the end of the film which is that she wants reconstructive plastic surgery and in order to like sweep all of this nonsense under the rug the government are just gonna pay for it like so she gets exactly what she wants i i love it i think it's hilarious i think there are so many golden lines in it i also think that it just works in a cinematic way I haven't even mentioned the fact that J.K. Simmons is just introduced about an hour into the film and is commentating on how ridiculous the plot of this film is. And he literally says, come back to me when it makes sense. And then the ending line of the film is, I guess we learn not to do it again. Like, what a complete fuck up. No, and that's the way the he film said, ends. He says, we'll learn not to do it again, whatever the fuck it was that we did. Jesus, what a clusterfuck. So that's, that's it then. No one else really knows anything. Okay. Um, uh, well, sir, um, there is... What? Um... What? There is the woman, the gym woman, Linda Litsky. Oh, fuck, yeah. God. Where is she? Oh, we picked her up. We we have her. We have her? To, to, to do what with? She, we, she, uh... she says she'll uh, play ball if we pay for um, some... I know this sounds odd. Some surgeries that she wants cosmetic surgery she says she'll sit on everything how much there were several procedures altogether they couldn't yes okay jesus fucking christ yeah what do we learn palmer i don't know sir i don't fucking know either I guess we learned not to do it again. Yes, sir. I'm fucked if I know what we did. Yes, sir. It's uh, hard to say. Jesus fucking Christ.
What did you think revisiting okay. it 12 years later? So I, I reviewed it when it first came out. Funnily enough, my, my feeling about the Coen stuff is actually not that dissimilar to it. I've always felt the Coens make two different types of films. They make the ones that I really love, um, you know, Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink, um, No Country. And then they also have this kind of wacky, zany stuff. I'm Funnily enough, I'm with you on Big Lebowski. I know people love it. I did a blog years and years ago when it was reissued at the NFT and I went in to see it because I didn't like it the first time. I just thought it was, you know, it was too aware of its own wild and craziness. I think. Individual- yeah, well, that's just your opinion, man. Exactly. And that, <laughs> believe me, I've heard that many times. And I, it's, <laughs> I couldn't resist. No, 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 it's fine. But it's fine. I, I, it's still, it's not one of my favorites. I don't think it ever will be. Um, uh, and I, for me, when I saw a, uh, Burn after reading, it did feel like, okay, we just made no country for old men. Let's just kick our shoes off and just do something that's completely silly and pointless. And I went back to my review after I watched the film again and I wrote down what I thought about it. And I went back to my original review to see how much of what I'd said the first time around I agreed with. And I have to say that I agree with pretty much everything I said. Um, my, my issue is this. Firstly, I did go back to watch it thinking, okay, I may have just been having a bad day the first time and I want this to be funny. And, uh, and I did laugh a few times. I then found out from my review that I had said in my review, actually, I'd be lying if I said I didn't chuckle a few times. And the things that I laughed at were Brad Pitt dancing in the car with the earphones on is, is funny. Um, J.K. Simmons <laughs> saying, yeah, come back when, and then there's a huge pause when it makes sense, know. is, is, is sense. really lovely. <laughs> the thing when, when uh, Tilda Swinton says... What makes you think anyone would be interested in that? Which is the kind of the verbal version of the laughing when he says, I'm writing, I'm writing my memoirs. All that stuff actually I did. So there was about four or five chuckles. No, no sort of huge guffaws, but four or five chuckles. Um, and then beyond that, I just felt the same way as I did about it the first time around, which is, a, okay, I, it's trying too hard. Now, the thing is, Zane, I'm I'm very bad with zany, okay, and I'm very bad with quirky. And as I've said a million times, you know, quirky and irksome are very very close cousins, and it's a very thin line that rides that out. So the 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 story of uh, Burn After Reading is somebody is that the, the the John Malkovich character gets fired, he and he's working uh, intelligence services. He goes home and says to his wife, who's cheating on him with George Clooney, he says, "I'm going to write a book," and she goes, <clears throat> "You know, like anyone cares." The disc of the book then gets left in the gym, which is being run by Francis McDormand, whose you know idiot assistant friend is Brad Pitt with the most brilliant bad hair I've ever seen Brad Pitt have. It's so good. And and the way he walks is really kind of great as well. I do actually, I think his performance is terrific because it's one of the performances in which you can actually see the character thinking when she's saying, you know, like when they're, when they're trying to figure out the plot. Um, and then as a result of this thing, this disc being found, a whole sort of comedy of errors ensues, whereby she thinks that she can take it to the Russian embassy and get money for it. Meanwhile, the intelligence services why can't... The fuck, fuck, why the fuck would they go to the Russians? Yeah, and, <laughs> and that's when J.K. Simmons keeps saying, the Russians? The Russians? <laughs> um, you know, so all that stuff... And so the so the so the gag is that none that that this is a this is a this is a comedy of errors. It's like you know a stool falls over, it knocks over a ladder, which knocks over. You know, it's like a kind of the verbal equivalent of slapstick. Which of course the Coens have been really interested. You know, it's interesting that the Coens and, and Sam Raimi come from the same. Yes. Sum, you know that when you look at things like Crime Wave, 
you can see that there's the- even a really great Sam Raimi cameo in Miller's Crossing. Yeah, and I mean, there's they were you know they were and Barry Sonnenfeld is in that mix as well. So they all come out of this this same sort of something, which is the love of you know slapstick and horror are very very close, and uh, and you can and you can see all that. But this, I'm just looking at, at, at Burn After Reading, and I think that that mounting thing about the mounting chaos, which does indeed plot spoilers, as you said, result in a scene in which George Clooney pulls open the wardrobe and shoots Brad Pitt in the head because he said earlier on it just becomes a muscle reflex. I would work in bodyguard. That's what you do. That sounds like something you should be telling your psychiatrist. Yeah, but I don't have a psychiatrist. No, 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 no. <laughs> but that okay, and that actually that gag is really all the stuff about you know, I, I, you know, I've got a, what's he say? Yeah, he says, says, I've, got, I've got, I've got, I've got a lactose reflux. He goes, no, you've got lactose intolerance or acid reflux. Or an they're, acid they're two reflux. Different, they're two, they're two different, different things. things. I know what they are. Well, I knew you misspoke. But what I, <laughs> what I, what I want <laughs> is for that to be barreling along and making me laugh. And what I'm actually doing is watching it going, I just, I, I don't, when does, when does it start being funny? Now, if we're going to play the, the uh, you know, I think there's stuff in Hackers that's unsound thing. You know, you yourself said that the, 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 the way in which the Frances McDormand character is introduced, that actually the whole thing is to do with the fact that she thinks that, you know, that she needs nip and tuck and all that kind of stuff. And it's a film, one of the central plots of which, for reasons I, to this day, don't get this gag. George Clooney is building a machine in his I basement. I love this so much okay okay i'm excited to hear what you have to say about it so i can say my interpretation okay. of my feelings towards okay. this bit so there is a there is a subplot going on all the way that george clooney is getting bits of metal and going to home depot and getting something he's building something in his garage in his basement pardon me and you don't know what is it what it is and his wife says oh you're down in the basement again honey and he's building something and we know that he was you know he was involved in you know bodyguarding and something something's going on with this thing what is it and then he takes Francis McDormand down into his basement and he says, I fa- I've built it. And he, he, there's this reveal and you see what looks like a kind of a, uh, like a metal trestle with a seat and a, and, a, and a gear stick on it. And she says, what is it? And he says, what is it? What is it? <laughs> and then he pulls the lever. And what happens is that the chair, which has got a, like a, a slit in between the legs, moves backwards and forwards. And as it does, a huge dildo comes up between the, the thing. And, and, he says, and, she, and he says, what do you think? And she says, that's incredible. And I'm that's going, fantastic. what the <laughs> fuck? What? Sorry, I don't, I, I, I mean, what, I, what I don't get is, I'm sorry, what? What? Pardon our dust. The ex is in the process of moving out. Told her that expedite things, but yeah. Well, you know, you try to act like an adult. Well, it's never easy. Hmm. Anyway, come downstairs. You like surprises? Well, I'm always open to new experiences. I gotta tell you, I saw an ad for this in a gentleman's magazine. Twelve hundred bucks. Twelve hundred bucks. I'm looking at this thing and I think, geez, you gotta be kidding me. I'm a hobbyist. This thing's basically nothing but speed rail. I figure I can go down to Home Depot and whip this up myself for. A hundred bucks. What is it? What is it? You sit down there, make yourself comfortable, put your feet in the stirrups, and... Oh my God.
Well, it's because it's this weird rising tension where you're wondering for so long, like, what could it be? And I think that it's basically a microcosm of everything that happens in the film is that it's undercut by a joke. And I think it's just like completely absurd and weird. And you think it's going to be this dark, you know, it's this dark thing that's happening in the uh, in the basement. There's even shots of him like, sh- like sh- showing that he's got these two bits of metal that he's like squeaking that he's going like, and it just looks like he's like building this like almost like torture contraption but it turns out to be a sex toy it's it's just and the whole thing is based around affairs and sex and relationships and all these like seedy little things that people are doing with each other and behind each other's backs it's all based in that and so i just i just think it's a really silly ridiculous joke that for me completely works and it feels like it's just it just encapsulates what the whole film is like which is this like stupid undercutting ridiculous joke okay i mean for me it's the point that i just go oh for fuck's sake i can't be doing this <laughs> it's it's like you know yeah it's like i was kind of with it up until and then and you know and then they and then brad pitt gets killed and then it's like but okay, i love it now, like there's now. so many things as well like when he like when he says to tilda swinton you are a negative person and then like leaves he leaves with his sex pillow like he's just got his weird little sex pillow that he goes upstairs he like storms upstairs and then goes and gets it and he marches back downstairs and out of the door like it's just everything about it is just so silly and so ridiculous i just love it okay but fine okay but then i think this is the thing it's like silly and ridiculous is a very very hard line and what and what i would what I would concede is I don't is think this. they're playing it like it's silly and ridiculous. I think it just is. I think all, that's what I like about it is all the characters are really earnest and really mean what they're doing. And what you were saying about Francis McDormand's character really caring about this, all these superficial surgeries and stuff, I think that would offend me and feel odd if all the characters weren't idiots, but they're all idiots. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't offend me in the slightest. I don't. I don't think it's. I think that you know the whole thing about she. She said she. She thinks she needs this, and she thinks that she needs that. And meanwhile, there's a guy literally saying to her, "Nobody thinks you need this. Everyone thinks. Many people think you know because he's desperately in love with her, and she can't see him, and she keeps talking to him about the fact that she's on bewithme.com, which is this kind of dating site that she's that that just seems to just kind of hook her up with a with a bunch of losers until it hooks her up with George Clooney, who then takes her down to the basement and shows her his dildo bike. <laughs> and and it see, that sounds to me like an idea that would have sounded like fun at three o'clock in the morning when you were drunk in the pub and one of the Coens said to the other one, and then you know what he's building down there? He's building a dildo exercise bike. And they all laughed and they woke up in the morning and went, Yeah, let's not do that. Let's 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 make a proper film. I was I was reminded as well of that thing that the central gag in the film is that everyone in the film is super famous and, you know, super spectacular good, you know, like it is Tilda Swinton and George Clooney and, uh, you know, Francis, these are, these are sort of, and, but the gag is they're all stupid. And if this, there's very, there's very little that you can do with a gag, which is everyone's stupid. And in fact, the scenes that I laughed at other than Brad Pitt, because I did think Brad Pitt was funny, is the J.K. Simmons going, what, 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 you know, and because that seemed to me to be the the thing when, when he says, you know, oh, how is he? You know, did, did they kill him? No, he's in a coma. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, well, you know, 
look, if he wakes up, we'll deal with it. And, uh, you know, and what, what do you want me to do? I want you to put him on a plane. All that stuff, I just want you to get this out of the way. That stuff was funny. So it felt to me like there was a short film in there. I mean, it is a short film anyway. It's only 95 minutes long. And I think brevity is a, is a strength of it. Um, I really like that there's, it's taking this view of relationships because everybody's, everyone's sleeping with each other, which is again, a thing that JK Simmons is character, I think, or maybe his, uh, his right hand man comments. He on. says, spare me. Yeah. When he's just he like, they all seem to be me. sleeping with each other. Oh, right. Spare me. Like, like me. I love that the, this, this view of relationships where everybody is having an affair with one another and it's about the stories that you tell and weaving that into an espionage plot. So the whole time, George Clooney, for example, thinks he's being tailed and doesn't know why. And it's this like weird black sedan and it feels like he's being watched for like a secret organization reason. And then the reveal is that it's because his wife is also cheating on him and she wants a divorce and she wants to, she's hired somebody to see if he's doing anything behind that. She, so she doesn't have to give him any money. So there's this amazing scene where he runs after the guy who's been tailing him the whole movie, takes him down, and then he's like, I work for Tuckner Marsh! And it's this really funny, very Coen Brothers, because they love people with weird faces and weird voices, like, scene where somebody's like, what is that, a law firm? No, it's a rock band. Yes, it's a law firm. So there's so many, like, good jokes in it. And then it even no, but then, goes but further then, than but that. He says, but then he says, he says, what, my wife hired you? No, your wife hired Tuckman Marsh. Tuckman Marsh hired, hired me. me. <laughs> and then at the end, when Francis McDormand is being followed for real, you know, espionage reasons, he yeah. doesn't know who she is or what she's about and thinks that everything that she's been doing is a... And he's so paranoid, he starts looking around, hearing a helicopter, seeing somebody like touch their ear, and he runs off and tries to fly to Venezuela. Like, I think it's so it's so sure of what all the characters are doing and what they're afraid of and what's going on and, and making it about their relationships, but wrapping it up in this sort of spy plot. But, okay, but yeah, but the, right, the funnier joke, the, the Venezuela thing, the funnier joke is, he says, he tried to get on a plane to Venezuela. I have no idea why. And he says, you don't know why? He says, yes, yeah, we don't have an extradition treaty with Venezuela. That's the joke. Yeah, which the they make. Is, you, no, no, I know. But so the point is that... <laughs> The bit is that the jokes that the jokes that land for me go. This sounds really. I, even as I'm saying it, I don't agree with it. I was going to say the jokes that land for me because you use the phrase the thing lands are actually they're a level up. You know, they're kind of they they are the J.K. Simmons looking going for fuck's sake, really, really. Um, and I do think that you know we, we'll never do it. We won't do it again. Whatever the fuck it is, we I've got I haven't got a clue. Um, I think that stuff is funny, but I think just the rest of the kind of it felt it felt to me like they were having a lot of fun making it. It felt like there were a lot of celebrities playing stupid characters. And it felt... So that's interesting honest- as well, because I don't feel like it's... I think there's one line that I can think of where Francis McDormand says, I'd be laughed out of Hollywood. Um, which obviously is like almost like fourth wall breaking joke, because she hasn't Well, been. exactly. But, it is, but that, that is exactly what it is. Yeah. It's Francis McDormand. Yeah. <laughs> so Francis McDormand saying, I would be laughed out of Hollywood. The gag is... Because you're in a movie, yeah. that's the biggest but that's the story. Only, to me, I know everyone's sort of playing against type. Like, you know, it's George Clooney with a beard and it's Brad Pitt with a bad hair- hairdo playing a moron. And I, I think that everyone's playing against type. And I guess that's kind of what's appealing to them. But I don't think it's nudging and winking at you being like, eh, look, they're doing a different thing now. I just think it, I think that's kind of part of it. You can take that from it. But I don't think the film is doing that on purpose. 
Okay. Well, well, look. So here's here's what I would say about this. This is interesting because there are two films that we've talked about that that one of us loves, okay, and the other one not so much. I mean, I I, I was glad to see it again because there were a couple of gags in there that I liked, and I said I do think. I think Brad Pitt is funny. I think he's genuinely funny. And I think the JK Simmons stuff is funny. I, it still doesn't work for me. However, however, I think what's important is, is, is this, that um, I know this sounds like a really trite, you know, little people, why can't we all get along together? Um, which I know I quote all the time, but Mars Attacks is one of my favorite films. Um, it is interesting that it is perfectly possible for us to completely, uh, to, to, to love things that the other person doesn't love and to understand why they do and to understand why we don't and for that to be perfectly fine. And I bring this up because, you know, recently I've had a little bit of experience of, um, I think everybody has of, you know, this kind of either or film criticism that you said this, but I think that, and therefore, you know, and particularly if anyone's ever been on Twitter, you know, I mean, one of the most, one of the weirdest things about, about recent weeks is, um, hearing from Charlie Kaufman fans. Mm. Um, I mean, it's a, this is nothing to do with Charlie Kaufman. This is to who I think incidentally is a genius. Um, Charlie Kaufman fans make Star Wars fans seem like reasonable grown up people. It's this, this weird thing. I, 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 Jack, I stand by it. Honestly, I I've seen some of it. it. I've seen some of this this interaction that you've had with Charlie Kaufman it's fans, and just they, they, they're they, so the, they really, really like like thinking that oh, I like clever stuff, and <laughs> they, they really need to grow the fuck up. But it's <laughs> it is it's a kind of weird sort of, and and, and you know, I, I I say this because I think it. It's, as I said, this is to do with the fans. This is not to do with the filmmaker. This is to do with the fans. In the same way, you can't blame George Lucas for Star Wars fans. You can't blame Charlie Kaufman for Charlie Kaufman fans. Um, and I'm sure that Jack, amongst your many followers, there are some who are great and some who are not so great. I imagine that most of them are great, incidentally. Um, uh, but it is a really weird thing, this kind of, how, how dare you have an opinion that is negative about this thing that I like because I'm clever and you're just stupid. It's a weird thing it- where people hold the things that they care about and the things that they enjoy as personal sort of um tropes no no sorry as personal traits so that when you attack something that they like it feels like you're attacking them and that's not how we feel you don't even have to attack it this is the really weird thing okay i mean to put all this in context you know, ages and ages ago, Charlie Kaufman and I had a, you know, a, well, I didn't even realize that we'd had a kind of falling out, but um, I interviewed him for the culture show about the film. And then, and then I turned out I didn't like the film very much. And years later, he came on Radio 5 and I, he, didn't, he didn't like the fact that I hadn't liked Synecdoche. It's perfectly fine. I hate Synecdoche. didn't like it very much. Absolutely fine. And then when his new film came out, I wasn't a big fan, but other people are. And you know, my very great colleague, Wendy Ide, loves it. She said, it's one of the most daring films you'll see. Oh, fine, great, good. You know, it's brilliant. I'm very glad that everyone should have that thing. But um, anyway, so in, his, in, a, in this book, Charlie, I've said this before, Charlie Kaplan, there's a bit when the, the internal monologue of the central character refers to me as an asshole, which is perfectly fine. He's got the right to say that. I mean, believe me, I've been called an asshole by enough people over the years, and I'm sure I will again. But if you even mention it, or if you even try, they just go completely nuts. And I have, I've been genuinely surprised by just how bonkers 
the Charlie Kaufman fanboys are. And you and I have both had a lot of uh, interaction over the years with Star Wars fanboys. And I know that you and I have sometimes agreed that, you know, they really just got to climb down out of their trees. But Jack, they are but nothing. It's, it's the weirdest thing. And I, I do think, and I think that this, this discussion demonstrates it, it's perfectly possible to get along perfectly fine with people who don't like the things you love. And do you think we should do a podcast about I'm thinking of ending things? Well, I, I, not really, because I've kind of, I'm not, I, I'm not that interested. Do you love it? I've had a very, very interesting reaction to it. I watched it the first time and, well, I've only seen it once, but when I was watching it, I had this like weird, almost like treading the line between what the fuck am I watching and what the fuck am I watching? Like, it's this very strange. Okay. Like, it, it was almost feeding this part of my brain that was like enjoying the puzzle of it and the the yeah, intrigue yeah. of it and what it was making me think of and how I was projecting back at it. But then there were some times when I was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> and I, yeah, I think yeah. it's sinking in really well with me. I think it's okay, like, yeah. sta- it's like it, I really want to revisit it now that I have a clearer idea about what it's about and how I feel about it. And I think it will feel differently yeah. the second time I watch it. But well, I mean, I've seen, I've, you know, I've seen it twice and I read the book. Um, I think the book's better. Um, I think there are, th- I love Jesse Buckley. I think there are things in the film that are, that are really interesting. I don't, the, 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 the pot spoiler, the basically the third act of the book is a slasher story. It becomes, it becomes a horror story completely. It's being chased around the thing, by the, although the, although the whole central gag about it's, you know, about who the the the, the protagonist you know, the is. Is. that's the same thing it's but yeah. then that's as i said that is twilight zone with a levels that's the that's the original book that's fine but i i found you know i just for me as a film it didn't work great it's fine there are things that are that are good some people really love it some people really hate it. it's fine it's perfectly perfectly there we fine. Go. that's our and that's our podcast about i'm thinking of ending things <laughs> there we go that's it that, that's 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 absolutely it and um and as i said i and i i'll repeat this again I think anyone has the right to think anybody, anything about, you know, people, people, you know, as as a critic, you're going to get called names all the time. Fine. You know, I mean, Danny Dyer's threatened to beat me up more times than I can remember. Paul Schrader said that I'm, you know, I'm not fit person to review. It's fine. I'm not, you know, I didn't get into film criticism to be their friends. That's fine. But what's weird is the fans. Hmm. And I think the, the overall, sentiment i agree with which is that like it's 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 okay to disagree about things it, that that's good i think that's i would it would be boring if everyone agreed on the same stuff and <laughs> it's nice to listen to somebody else's opinion when it's different to yours because you might learn something and not only about like the thing itself but you might also like have learn, a- <laughs> learn? <laughs> kill the heretic with fire <laughs> i remember like talking to you about the shining and and giving you a perspective on something that you hadn't considered yeah. before and you were like oh and that's just, even though that might not resonate with you when you watch it the next time, like you've now just thought about something in a different way. And I've definitely yeah. had that with you, you know, over yeah, the yeah. years, even before we were even mates. Like it was, you know, I've, I've definitely disagreed with you on things and thought, well, it's interesting that Mark sees it this way. And, I, and that's just, I enjoy that more rather than us getting, and it's the same as everybody listening to this, rather than us getting on the podcast and aggressively agreeing with each other, <laughs> which sometimes we do. But it's really, really fun to sort of like have a conflicting opinion to see like the fact that I was watching Hackers with a complete 2020 vision and watching it and knowing, you know, I watched it out of order in terms of like what came after it and all the rest of it. And then you watched it in 1995 when it was this brand new fresh thing that was cool and and, and I now watch it now and go, this is lame. <laughs> it's, just, it's just, that's interesting. And that's, yeah. I mean, that's why this podcast works, Mark. 
<laughs> After having said that, there's nothing worse than the sound of people aggressively agreeing with each other. I'm going to aggressively agree with you there. So, all right, Jack. Well, look, this was it was fun, and I, you know, uh, it, and I'm glad that you love uh, Burn After uh, Reading, and I'm glad that I love Hackers. I'm glad that and you love I'm, Hackers. Yeah, and I, you know, so it's there. We go. Uh, so we will meet again in the not too distant future. And uh, meanwhile, stay safe. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If, you, if you're listening to this on the podcast, if you go to the Patreon page, you can see it with pictures. Jack is still in his lavish uh, bedroom it's, with it's the sexualizing videotape. Is it a fake background? No, it's not. I'm just, just doing a little gag. Oh, you did it was a gag. Sorry, <laughs> There we go. Yeah. Okay, fine. So, hey, people, uh, if you were listening, that gag wouldn't have made any sense. But if you've been watching on the Patreon video, that gag would have seemed so funny since uh, since Jack is also a filmmaker. Uh, and uh, we'll all be together again soon. Thanks for listening. Subscribe. Tell your friends. What do I, Jack, what, do I, what am I supposed to say? You're more literate in this stuff. I what, like what Keep Watching the Skies. Yeah. I think Keep Watching the Skies is good. No, no, I know. I'm going to do that. So I'm going to finish it. But what, what, what are the things that you, people, you have to like something? or? Well, you know, I think stuff like making sure that you follow us on, on the on the. Uh, the, whatever podcast app you prefer tell your friends yes. let yes. us know on Twitter if yes. uh, you want <laughs> to, what, what, any requests for things you want us to talk about that's the bummer you, you've, you've, you've got it down you know what you're doing yeah that's it do you want to do the keep watching the skies thing because it's kind of like you know I've done it all the time do you want to do it as a sort of sign off keep watching the skies it doesn't sound as good with me I think you should say it no I thought you did it great I'm going to let that hang thanks very much I'm fucked if we know what we did <laughs> imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.